The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, we have uh, spent the last few weeks in a series called Dust to Dust Stories of Transformation. And and in this series, we've actually looked at how God has worked in the lives of people uh, who are part of this local church, Axe Church Leander. And if you've been a part of that journey with us, it's been, it's been really cool. It's been really awesome. We've actually gotten to see how, how God has been at work in the lives of our, our brothers and sisters who are, are part of this church family. And, and again and again, we hear from these people who are living just some incredible stories right here in our midst. And I don't know if, if it's been as inspiring for you, but I've, I've loved it. Because to me, there's, there's something about a good story, right? There's something about a good story that's really powerful. Like, you know, if... A movie, if you think about it like this, like movies are stories. Uh, but if a movie has all the best special effects in the world, but doesn't have a good story, it's not going to win any awards, right? And if you don't believe me and you're above the age of six, just go and try and sit through any of the Transformers movies. Like, you won't be able to make it through. It's the coolest special effects in the world, but come on, Shia, it's just rough, right? Good stories are important. And good stories, they shape our lives. And and each one of us lives by a story. Each one of you lives into a narrative. You live by a story that that tells you about the way things were, the way things are, and the way you hope things will be one day. Every single person lives by a story. And whatever story we tell ourselves dictates how we live into this world. Uh, Here's what I mean. Uh, Many of you know that that we uh, do some work with an organization called uh, Nineveh Ministries, and they provide uh, support and mentors for teenagers uh, just getting out of the the juvenile justice system. And uh, I've been blessed to to be a mentor in that program, and and I work with a a guy, and we'll call him Rick for the sake of this story. It's not his real name. And and one day, Rick and I, we were hanging out a couple months ago, and he he, uh, just kind of out of the blue, we're driving around in the car, and he just goes, hey, Gabe, uh, listen, I know... You know, you're a pastor and everything, but I just want you to know, like, I'm not, I'm not really religious. Uh, I don't really believe in God at all. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, now, why is that? And he's like, well, he's like, because, you know, evolution explains everything. And I said, oh, it explains everything. He said, yeah. And I said, so does it explain, you know, like, how everything got going? And he goes, well, it doesn't explain that. And I said, well, isn't that kind of like a big thing that, that needs to be explained? And uh, he said, yeah, I guess maybe, but still, I just, I don't believe in the God thing. And I said, all right, you know, that's fine. And I said, just, you know, Rick, like, just the way I see it, it's like, we can look at this world, and and either there's a God, and everything we do then has a purpose, and things actually matter, and our lives actually make sense, or there isn't one, and it really doesn't matter, because we're all just going to burn up anyways. And in this moment of sort of brutal honesty and integrity on his part, he said this to me, he goes, yeah, exactly. And that's what makes this world so depressing. See, the story we tell ourselves dictates how we live into the world. And uh, the Easter text we read today is about women who are going to the tomb of Jesus. And these women were living in a big story. They were living in the story of the God who created this world and created everything good. But that humanity fell into sin and so brokenness and darkness and sadness and pain entered into this world. But these women had this hope that one day, this creator God who made everything good would one day put everything back to rights. That that which was sad would be untrue. And they had this hope and they believed he was going to do it through the Messiah, through the anointed one. And they believed that this Messiah was going to come through the covenant people of Israel. And they thought that they had found it. They thought this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, this is it. He's the dude. 
He's the guy. He's the Messiah. He, he says he's the Messiah. And he does Messiah things. He, he feeds the hungry and he, he heals the sick and he preaches good news to the poor and he proclaims forgiveness of sins to everyone. This is the guy who's going to set the world right. And they think he's the one who's going to do it. And then, out of nowhere, he's crucified. He's killed. He's dead. And he's placed in a tomb. And so the story for these women, their story that they're living into, takes a tragic turn. This guy ends up just being another false messiah who they foolishly put their trust in. But we see in the text that they must have thought that he was still a good man. And so they go to, to take care of his body. They go to put um, oils and scents on it to cover up the rotting stench of death. And we pick up their story in verse 1 of our text for this morning. You can follow along on the screen if you want or in your Bible. It says this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, I think we need to grasp the gravity of this situation. Like, for these women, they were fully expecting to go to a tomb and find a dead guy. They're fully expecting to go there and having to figure out how they're going to roll away this massive stone. That's what they're expecting. But instead, they get there, and there's two guys in dazzling apparel. Whatever that is. Uh, sequence. And, and uh, uh, Matt, but Matt, Matthew's gospel calls them angels. So these, these men, angels, different accounts give us these different pictures of these, these supernatural beings that are there. And either way, these guys say to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? And you can kind of imagine the women are, are going to respond and be like, uh, we're not. Like, we're at a tomb. We saw Jesus die. We're seeking the dead among the dead. This is where dead people are. That's why we're here. But before the women can even respond, these, these men say to them, he is not here, verse 6, he is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And so suddenly here's this twist in the story that these women didn't expect. That they thought Jesus was dead. And they assumed, like most rational people, that things that are dead, you know, like stay that way. Right? That's what they assumed. But these angels say, remember, guys, remember, he told you he would die. He told you he was going to do this. But then he said that he's going to rise again to new life. And the angels say, it's actually happened. He's actually risen. He's actually alive. And so verse 8 says that the women remembered Jesus' words. They, they remembered that Jesus said he was going to do this. They remembered that Jesus had promised that he would suffer, that he would die, but that one day he would rise again to new life. And when he did that, he would show that he is the anointed one, that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the one through whom the entire world is going to be put right. And that begins with his own resurrection from the dead. And so we see that as these women remember Jesus' words, they believe his, mes they, they believe his message. And then they go forth and they tell all of Jesus' followers the good news. Hey, Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. He's conquered death. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And they run and they do that. See, the resurrection of Jesus causes a reorientation 
of their story. The resurrection of Jesus causes a reorientation of their lives. And see, this is what Jesus' resurrection does. Like every single person who encounters this incredible account of a man who rose from the dead reorients their life around it. You have to reorient your life in light of this story. And see, I don't know everyone's story here this morning. But can I tell you, whatever your story is, whatever narrative you've been living into, the story of the resurrection of Jesus is the absolute hinge of human history. It is the ultimate turning point in all of history. No story has had a greater impact on the history of the world. No story offers a greater hope for your life. No story offers a greater hope for our world than this one. And no other story stares you in the face and demands you respond to it, like the story of Easter does. The story of Easter demands a reorientation. And there's two different ways you can do that, right? You can respond to the story of Easter like the women, right? You can, you can believe the message. You can believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, and you can take part in his mission of, of redeeming and restoring this world under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's option one. You can do that. Option two is you can respond like some of the disciples do in our text for today in verses 10 and 11, if you look with me there. It says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And so these disciples of Jesus hear from the women that Jesus has risen from the dead. And it says that they don't believe them. These disciples don't believe what they hear from them and they think it's an idle tale or the literal translation there is that it's just silly jokes. I think it's just silly jokes. And that's an option too. You can hear this story of Jesus rising from the dead and when faced with that resurrection, you can just reject it, right? It's just silly. It's wishful thinking. It's a, it's a nice little story to help people cope with the hardships of life, but come on, this idea that a Messiah died, rose, somehow it has eternal implications for us and implications for us now, that's a bit of a stretch. This whole idea of Easter is a bit silly. You can do that. See, either Jesus rose and everything changes, and those of us that believe that give our whole lives towards pursuing his mission, or he didn't. And it's just a really creative lie uh, that a bunch of people believe for a couple thousand years. Either way, the story of Jesus puts a line in the sand. And it forces you to deal with it. Forces you to reorient your life. Either it's true or it's not. But see, one of the weird things in our culture I've found, and I think you've probably seen this too, is we have like gobs and gobs and gobs of people that refuse to acknowledge that, that this resurrection of Jesus actually puts a line in the sand. Like, there are tons of people that like the idea of the resurrection. Like, it's a nice, it's a sentimental idea, right? It's a, it's a good story that reminds us to hope. It's a good story that reminds us that there's always a silver lining no matter what the dark cloud is. And of course, this story does inspire hope. But there's so much more to it than that. It is the dividing line of history. In the resurrection of Jesus, God is launching his new creation on this plan and his plan to redeem and restore everything and he's invited you to be a part of that. And either you can say, hey, that is awesome, I am in. Full on, I'm in. Or you can say, 
nah, that sounds silly, I'm out. But please, do not make the mistake of thinking this story is just a pleasant, sentimental hope that religious people like. It's not that. It is the dividing line of history. It demands a reorientation one way or another. Either it changes everything for you, or it's a lie. It's one of those two. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, okay, thanks for being honest about that, I guess I would say I don't really think it's true. If that's you, let me just say, first of all, we're glad you're here. You're always welcome here. Secondly, please dig into it. Do not reject this story without digging into it. You can talk to me about it afterwards. There's literally nothing else I would rather do today, besides maybe watch a little soccer, than, uh, than talk with you about the resurrection of Jesus. Don't reject this story without thinking about it critically. Don't do it. Be a big mistake. Because there is no story in the world more important than this one. There's no story more important than this one. Because this story, in all its truth, has the power to transform your story. This story has the power to transform your past. It has the power to transform your present. And it has the power to transform your future. See, some of you may be here today, and your story is this. Your story is this. I'm no good. This is what you've been told. I'm no good. I've made too many mistakes. I've messed up too many times. I shouldn't be here. I, don't, I, I shouldn't be in church. This is weird. I'm not here. You haven't done the things that the good people do. Shouldn't be here. That's your story. But can I tell you, the resurrection of Jesus changes that. Resurrection of Jesus says that his sacrifice for your sins on the cross was accepted by God when he rose from the dead. That's God's stamp of approval that his sacrifice was accepted. The holy, perfect God of the universe looks at you now and he looks past your sin, he looks past your guilt, and he sees a child who he loves and cares for. I was uh, 24 when I went to my first recovery meeting. I was working at a, a church in Minnesota and they, they hosted recovery meetings on Thursday nights and as a new intern there, I thought it'd be a good idea to see this aspect of the church's ministry. And so I went there and you know, I'd never been to one of these before and I like, haven't really dealt with any uh, substance abuse issues or anything. I was like, I don't know what to do. So show up and I see this guy who's about my age. We'll call him John and I sat down next to him. He didn't even look at me. He just looked down the whole time and he just said, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, well, you know, I'm a, the new intern at the church, and I uh, just thought I'd check out this ministry. And I didn't know what else to say, so I was like, what, what are you doing here? And, uh, and he said, uh, didn't say anything else, he just goes, alcohol and narcotics. I said, oh, okay. And I, you know, didn't know what to say, and I was like, so, um, how was your day? And, uh, and he said, terrible, and he got up and walked away. And I remember being like, well, that's the end of that. You know, I, I don't know what I did, but, but I ticked him off. Funnily enough, as God works, two days later, I get a phone call in my office, and it's this guy, John. And he says, hey, do you play music? I said, yeah, I play, well, <laughs> I hang out with musicians. I'm called a drummer. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, no offense, Matt. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I do. Do you, do you want to play sometime? He said, yeah, let's, let's get together and play. And so, so we ended up, and we, we, we jammed together one night. And from that moment on, I don't know what happened, but we became these good friends. And, and uh, he came to church with me every Saturday night, and he actually started to, to be part of our, our worship band and play guitar. And, and one night he was supposed to play guitar, and, and he didn't show up. And uh, he came in halfway through the service, and he just looked terrible. And I remember after the service, he, he came up to me, and he was just like sobbing. And he just said, Gabe, man, like, I blew it. I blew it. I messed up. I relapsed last night. I relapsed so bad. Like, I don't deserve to be here. 
Can I tell you, I was like so happy to be able to say to him, no man, this is exactly where you're supposed to be. This is exactly where you're meant to be. Bro, it's taken care of. The tomb is empty. Your sins are forgiven. You're good to go. God looks at you as his holy and dearly loved child because Jesus rose from the dead. And that's true for you too. Jesus transforms your past, but the resurrection of Jesus also transforms your present. So there's some of you who may be here today and your story is this. The life, life is about comfort. Life is about getting ahead. It's about pursuing whatever it is that makes you happy in whatever moment you're in. It's about pursuing whatever your version of the American dream is. That's what it's all about. I tell you, the resurrection of Jesus says your life is meant for a lot more than that. It's meant for a much deeper life than just satisfying your own desires. The resurrection of Jesus calls you out of your complacency. It calls you out of, quite possibly, your boredom of just satisfying your own desires. And it calls you into a world where life has a purpose, where what you do actually matters. The uh, brilliant theologian uh, N.T. Wright puts it like this. I think we'll have the quote on the screen. It says, uh, the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They're part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. See, Jesus' resurrection transforms your present. But Jesus' resurrection also transforms your future. And so there may be some of you here today where your story is this. YOLO. Okay, I said it. Um, you, you, you only live once, right? That this life is all there is, and then you're worm dirt, and that's the end of it. But the resurrection says that in the resurrection of Jesus, we get a picture of our future. We get a picture of our future resurrection. Scripture calls Jesus the firstborn of the dead. Meaning that as we look to his resurrection, we see that one day that's going to be us. That one day we too will rise. Jesus' resurrection shows us that death doesn't have the final say. Jesus does. Death doesn't have the final say, but Jesus does. He's conquered death. Death is dead. His victory is now your victory. And Jesus says that, that those who trust in him, that one day he's going to come back, he's going to raise us all again to new life. And everything that's broken and wrong and messed up in this world is going to be taken away. And we will get to spend eternity forever with God and with one another. Man, I don't know what, what your plans are for that day. I'm going to tell you mine. Uh, my, uh, High school teacher, Mrs. Kern, my favorite high school teacher, taught English. She, she died a few years ago from cancer. And so my plan, man, resurrection, I am finding her. And, and I'm going to go up to her, and, and I'm going to give her a big hug. And then uh, I'm going to be wearing a hoodie. I'm sure we'll have them. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to pull it up, and, uh, and I'm going to say, uh, beware the Ides of March. Like the soothsayer in, in uh, William Shakespeare's Julius Shakespeare, or <laughs> 
William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, uh, like I did in 10th grade. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I know it's going to make her laugh. And I know then that I'll get to hear her laugh again. And that is something like I can't wait for. Like that's what I'm looking forward to. That's the hope that we have. Where we can hug and be hugged. And we can sit around the fire and tell stories. And anything that's broken and messed up is gone. And we have eternity with God and one another forever. That's our future because of this resurrection. Because he is risen. And so when you trust in Jesus, he transforms your whole story. Past, present, and future. And so listen, Jesus, he rose from the dead. I'm just telling you, it's true. He rose from the dead. And you can reject that and go live in your little story. Fine, you have the freedom to do that. It's America. Or you can trust in him as your conquering king. You can trust in him and you can see your past redeemed and you can see your present transformed and you can see your future secure. And my prayer for each of you today is that you would trust in him, that you would trust in our conquering king. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.